This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. This is a Tuesday drive where so much has already happened in NBA free agency. The Hornets didn't extend a qualifying offer to Malik Monk, and he's now a Laker. As is Carmelo Anthony joining LeBron and Russell Westbrook. Dwight Howard's back in a Laker uniform now that Andre Drummond has been signed by the Philadelphia 76ers. That should be an interesting rotation with Joel Embiid, to put it mildly. Here locally, we learned the Hornets agreed to a sign-and-trade that will send Devontae Graham to New Orleans. And to me, this is good roster management by Mitch Kupchak and a good example why you've got to strip emotion out of these decisions. We all love Devontae around here. I'm happy he got paid, especially considering his story, a North Carolina kid that was once committed to Jason Capel at App State, ended his college career as an All-American and taking Kansas to the Final Four, then became a borderline all-star in the NBA playing in his home state. I would have loved to have him around, but at a price. It hurt letting him go, but it's best for the Charlotte Hornets, and here's why. You collected an asset. You got a first-round pick in exchange for a second-round player. That's a win for scouting. Not a lot of great players come out of the second round. Look at the history of it. There aren't many Nikola Jokic's running around. He's the first player in NBA history to win the MVP being taken in the second round since the draft or since the league has expanded to more than a dozen teams. This was a win for scouting. You drafted... Devontae, you got a first-round pick back. Yes, it's lottery-protected, but that's an asset that could help you next year if you're trying to make the playoffs and you need an extra piece. You can move a first-rounder to help sweeten the deal to get somebody back in return. That helps you. What it came down to, I felt, Mitch reading a market that didn't have a lot of buyers in it and having a ton of players looking for homes. It didn't make sense to pay a backup point guard $12 million a year when your starting point guard is already the most important player on the team. He would have been the third highest paid player. How would that make sense to bring in LaMelo, have him be the focal point of your team, yet the backup point guard is higher paid and the third highest paid player on the team, your backup. It doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. So you got to strip the emotion out of decisions like this, and I think Mitch does that as well as anybody. In the past, I think the Hornets succumbed to that. It's why they got nothing in return for Kimball Walker and letting him walk to become a Boston Celtic. Or I guess Terry Rozier technically came back in that, but they probably could have gotten a lot more if they acted sooner on that. They acted emotionally with decisions. Rich Cho generally does that or did that when he was the general manager. The Hornets have competent ownership because that ownership group headed by Michael Jordan 
trust Mitch Kupchak to do the right things and James Borrego to do the right things. I feel good about the front office for the first time in a long time because they are making the right moves. Just view it from a basketball standpoint. The Hornets, they have $13.5 billion of cap space. That is the third highest amount of cap space in the NBA right now when you factor all the moves that were made yesterday, the projected caps for all the teams across the league. San Antonio and Sacramento are the only teams with more. $13.5 million, that's not a lot of space, but when you have all these dudes looking for teams and expecting buckets of money, and that's not available to you because the cap didn't go up and teams aren't buyers, you're going to have players equal or maybe even better than Devontae falling right into your lap for less than $12 million a year. So I think that's a win for Charlotte. I do. A sign-and-trade is smart roster management by Mitch Kupchak. Your thoughts welcome on Twitter at WSJS Sports. 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Wayne's a Hornets fan in Greensboro. He wants in on the Hornets' moves here. They did not extend a qualifying offer to Monk. He's now a Laker. Very inactive last night. Hopefully that changes in the next few days to round out their roster a bit here. Devontae Graham shipped off to New Orleans. He joined Zion out there, and a protected first-round pick comes back to the Queen City. Wayne, what do you think? I think, uh, first of all, I agree with you 100% about Devontae. Uh, And that's where I usually don't agree with you, but I do this time. Uh, About Malik Muck signing with the Lakers, now I have another reason I hate the Lakers, so... That that worked perfect for me because I know he's going to be a bomb because he's not any good. Uh, I think the first time I ever called you, I called you to complain about Malik Monk getting picked over. And three uh, years later, look at us. Yeah, Mitchell was was there. We didn't take him, and that I'm never going to get over that. But the, the I think the the thing we need to worry about is as this thing extends out. The point guards are going to shrink. So whoever Mitch is going after, he needs to go ahead and make an offer, and it needs to be somebody that's unrestricted because if it's restricted, it gets stretched out three more days, and then if they match it, you got nothing left to pick from. And one more thing, I think they have an open opportunity to try to make some kind of deal with Chicago for marketing. Uh, Chicago is spending money left and right. Uh, he, he's he got to get paid somehow, and I don't know how they can do it right what now. What about Kobe White? Uh, hey, a, a double deal solved two problems at once. Find a way to get Kobe White in here. I'd be for that. Appreciate the, the call, other, Wayne. One last thing. Oh, yeah, what's I that? Think, uh, as fans, we forget something Borrego just believes in. He believes his best lineup is going small, and he plans on playing uh, P.J. At, at center as much as he can get away with it. So it's not as thin as it looks on paper. We'll see what happens with that. I appreciate the call, Wayne. Uh, I think getting something done with the Bulls makes sense. You saw the rumors yesterday. Maybe there would be a three-team deal where Lonzo ended up in Chicago, Lori Markinen ended up, in 
Charlotte and Devontae ended up in New Orleans. Maybe there was some truth to those reports and something fell apart there where it just became Devontae Graham going to New Orleans and a protected first-round pick coming back. Monk going to the Lakers. I'd like to be with you saying that he's going to be a bum out there, but Monk can shoot, and we saw those numbers go up last year, and it's going to be minimal pressure on him to be the focal point shooting the basketball for that team. It might look a lot like Nick Batum with the Clippers a year ago, where we all laughed, oh, you got Nick Batum, but he actually hit a lot of big shots in crunch time for the Clippers in the playoffs. That might be what we see with Monk. On the P.J. front, is he going to be on the team in the fall? Is he going to be part of a trade? I don't know. That's something fascinating to keep an eye on. I do think Charlotte, I trust Mitch Kupchak, and he's earned our trust on this. Same way I felt about the Carolina Hurricanes with Rod Brindamore, Tom Dundon, and Don Waddell. They did some unpopular things, but when you don't go to the playoffs for nine straight years, and then they come around and they've made some unpopular moves but make the playoffs three consecutive seasons, They've earned the benefit of the doubt. They've earned our trust, and we'll see what Charlotte does uh, in the next few weeks in free agency. Staying in basketball, but in Olympic play. The quarterfinals were this morning in Tokyo. The Americans rolled past Spain by over 20 points and are set to face Australia in the semis. But the big story was on the other side of the bracket. Luka Doncic and Slovenia did it again. They beat the Germans to advance to the last four, and if Luka's able to run through the Olympics with almost no help, it's only a matter of time he does this in the NBA. Giannis is the king of the league right now, and it's deserved. One of the best three-year runs we've ever seen. The only guys in the sports history to win two MVPs and a finals MVP before turning 27 years old, Giannis... Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Tim Duncan. It's a pretty good list to be on. Right now, Giannis is king. But is it going to be a long reign? Given Luka's ability to handle the basketball and what we're seeing internationally and what he's already done in the NBA, frankly, I don't think so. Luka seems to be the next guy. It's only a matter of time before he's running this league. Let's add some perspective here. He's carried Slovenia to the semis of the Olympics, a country that's in their first ever Olympic Games because of Luka, a country that's 2 million people deep. That's the population of Slovenia, 2 million. That'd be like if Nebraska or New Mexico was playing in the Olympic Games and getting to the Final Four, beating a country with 83 million people in Germany. It's an unbelievable story. He, he didn't even play that awesome today for his standards. But if you look at the stat sheet, he was looking at a triple-double again. He's the best 22-year-old basketball player ever. LeBron and Magic are the only other two that I think might present an argument. Magic, his rookie year, playing center against Philadelphia and hitting that shot at the end of the game. LeBron, at 21 years old, taking out single-handedly the Detroit Pistons, one of the greatest playoff performances I've ever seen, where he scored the last 25 points in regulation and overtime for the Cavaliers. But Luka, he's had his playoff moments. His first two years in the league, or his last two years, I should say, made the postseason, 
In overtime, he's hitting that fall-away, game-winning, buzzer-beating shot. It's unreal. And I think you got to see the full picture when it comes to Luka. At 14 years old, this guy started playing professional basketball, playing with adults, which is why it shouldn't surprise you, in one of the most respected professional leagues in Europe, at 19, he won the MVP before being drafted. And... He's so polished, so developed. The, the sky is the limit. All the other cliches you want to use for Luka. Just as long as he gets help. The NBA free agency period started yesterday. The legal tampering period. The moratorium period. So many different terms you can use that might confuse people. The pressure is on Mark Cuban now. He knew he had to go after Kyle Lowry. And there were three teams that did so. It was the Mavs, the Pelicans, and the Miami Heat. The Pelicans fell short. They got Devontae Graham. The Heat got Kyle Lowry. And the Mavs were unable to, so they went elsewhere. And the way they went elsewhere was by signing former Tar Heel Reggie Bullock, Sterling Brown, and re-signing Tim Hardaway Jr. It's not the most sexy moves to make, but does it make... Dallas better? Does it surround Luka with a few more scorers? Yes. The priority needs to be to keep that guy happy. There's no guarantee he's going to do what Giannis did, be loyal to the team that drafted him, and just immediately re-sign like Giannis did this past year. There's no guarantee of that. Luka, he had a close relationship with the general manager who was in Dallas for a quarter century. With Rick Carlisle, who's one of the most underrated coaches in the history of the league. Both of them are out of Dallas. And apparently Luka was not a fan of either of them parting ways. So there's question. This is something close to follow. Hey, Dallas, can they get back to the playoffs? Can they get out of the first round? Are they going to surround Luka with enough help? What happens from that point? Because there's a report from Tim McMahon, who covers Dallas really closely that they've already extended, at the start of the free agency period, the five-year, $200-plus-million-dollar deal for Luka to sign and extend. Trey Young, he signed that deal today. We see some of these extensions being announced. Luka didn't sign that yet. It's not a big deal yet, but it's something worth following. It's only a matter of time before Luka runs the league, but that doesn't mean he's going to be running the league for the team he currently plays for. I have a pain in my ear. And what is causing it? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Hayes Permore is in studio with us. At DHPIV on Twitter from Sports Channel 8. You know his stuff. Every week he gives us his skips or plays. But today... He's giving us three Olympic sports that he wants to get rid of, current Olympic sports, and he's giving us three sports because of the generousness out of his heart. He's not just going to present problems. He's going to provide solutions, solutions too. So, Hayes, where do you want to begin? With the programs to replace? Or I guess it makes more sense to find the ones to get rid of first. Uh, first of all, after all that set up, thanks, Josh Graham. I'm going to use this platform to plead to uh, uh uh, big tech out there. Sports Channel 8 is currently in Twitter jail. Um, so, yeah, we are shut down. What did you do? I, pff, 
Who knows? Who knows? But we're working through it. But if you know anybody, or if anybody out there knows anybody who can know somebody, hit us, up, hit them up, and be like, "Get my boy Sports Channel Eight out of Twitter jail." It's terrible. We've seen other people in sports media go through this. You get dinged for stuff you put up like three years ago. Then somebody goes back looking through, and you got some random song or you know, piece of music or video that you've used in some. Parody video a long time ago that then somebody comes back and they're taking me down. You so. have all these parody songs. I know. You're now, there's now a reckoning that's happening as yes. a result of your parody so songs. Anyway, so first of all, if you're wondering where Sports Channel 8 is on Twitter, we're in jail and we're working on it. <laughs> all right. Next up to the question at hand. Three Olympic sports that I want to completely get rid of. This is Summer Olympics alone. We could probably get rid of the Winter Olympics totally, but that's another uh, conversation altogether. Three sports that we can get rid of or at least I want to see a lot less of. Number one, beach volleyball. Why are we seeing this so much in prime it's time? It's unbelievable that we have beach volleyball because the only argument, it used to be the Neanderthal argument 20 minutes ago. Oh, oh well, they're in, put them in the bathing suits. Put them in the bathing suits, the bathing. bro. Maybe something might pop out. That's serious. It, it's as if that's, that's what's what happening people in say. the NBC meeting. That they're like, dudes might want something. They might tune in because something might pop out if they're in bikinis. It's not fun. Regular volleyball, way cooler than beach volleyball. It is. There's no question. Volleyball, the team sport, the dudes and the ladies. I'll take either of them anytime. The dudes have ups. This is a great sport. The ladies have ups. um, And something different than I know people hate. When people say women's basketball, you should lower the basket or whatever. Like the the horse is out of the barn on that. Like the, everybody's playing on a ten foot basket. But in volleyball, they have nets adjusted to the heights of the gender, much like we do in golf tees and other sports that make it like, all right, now we get to see them. It's a great TV product. A hundred percent. Beach volleyball. I don't know what the argument for is. Get, I really don't. Get it out of here. Give me more regular volleyball and let them wear whatever they want. They still look great as athletes, men and women. They don't have to be in bikinis on the beach for us to be uh, wanting to watch them. So. Robert, do you play? Have you ever played volleyball on the beach? It's not fun. I do respect it's hard as heck. It is. It's. I respect it. But have you ever played it on the beach? I mean, I played it in sand. But, I mean, okay, but so that's the other thing is like we're not giving them optimal conditions. These athletes. Can you imagine if they're like, all right, basketball. Now go play it on sand. Like, like this is stupid, right? Like let's let's these, they're trying to run fast, jump high, and dive swiftly. Like let's put them on a surface conducive. To, I guess maybe diving in the sand is better than on the court. But for every other purpose, put them on a a, sur- a surface that shows off their skills. Give me regular volleyball. Beach volleyball's out. Okay, beach volleyball is out. What right. else is out? All right, now here's a, a take. I actually can get behind what used to be called synchronized swimming, now is called art- artistic swimming. There's a skill in that. They, they're in there for two to three minutes. They're doing a routine, much like gymnastics. It's hard to do. It's the I'm, most impressive I'm thing to watch on it. TV athletically. What I don't like, synchronized diving. There's like three seconds in the air. We already have diving. They do less impressive dives they just do them at the same time. Synchronized diving, get out of here unless unless we're going to have like 10 people doing it at the same time. Pairs of synchronized diving, I got I got no time for it. Get out of here. It should just be regular diving. I don't, yeah, I don't it is a lot. Diving. Like can you imagine like you're a parent and you're pouring into your kid them getting into a sport and the sport that they choose is synchronized, synchronized diving. diving. Like we've all experienced probably like going to a tournament 
where you have to wait your turn to be on the court. Like, wrestling's probably the worst for this, where you have to sit there all day for maybe about five, ten minutes of action. I, I'd like to picture the Saints for the synchronized diver. And, and You're just like, standing there waiting all day for five seconds. No, no long jumper is going to be like, hey, instead of trying to jump as long as we can, what if we try and jump at the exact same time and just go pretty long? <laughs> Like, we're not going to be the longest. We're, we're just going to go kind of long, but we're going to do it at the same time. Synchronized diving, get out of here. Third thing that's out. I'm, I'm torn between sailing and the other thing I'm going to say, just because they are, like, super rich people sports that depend totally on the equipment. But there are some, like, island countries. You're going to say equestrian. Cool. And I'm going equestrian. I don't care if Snoop Dogg is funny talking about the horse <laughs> crib walking. Crip walking. Get the horses out of here. I, like, strip it down to the thing uh, things that are the most basic human versus human. Like, who can run faster? Who can throw the other person to the mat? Those are the most compelling Olympic sports to me. So get the horses out of here. Equestrian, you're gone. All of I don't even know what all the equestrian events are. Dressage, isn't that one of them that's called? Robert, I, I you you get strike me as somebody that might know something about equestrian. Can you imagine what it takes to to pack up all these horses and ship them to the one location oh. where we do the the athletic event? This is not a good thing. Equestrian out as an Olympic event. Robert, do you have any issue with equestrian being out? Uh, I, I don't really mind it. Uh, I do know that they may have to. The horses that you use have to be from your country. You're not allowed to use like an Arabian horse uh, for the U.S. So like, oh really? You, no, I just made that up. I, I, I was going to say, do horses use the same exemptions? Like, uh, they, I was born on a military base in Germany, so I, I'm technically a, a U.S. citizen, even though I was born on a German uh, horse farm. No. Actually, actually, I would say let's play the clip. Of Snoop Dogg and Kevin Hart. I mean, look, Snoop's going to be funny on whatever think, sports I you actually, put in there. Robert, I don't think we can play this. I don't think it can be possibly edited enough. Nah, we, we don't have this edited, so we can't play that right now. Thanks, FCC. All right, instead, so beach volleyball, synchronized swimming, and... No, synchronized diving. Synchronized diving, excuse me, and equestrian out. All out. All out, out of the Olympics. Here's what's in the Summer Olympics starting in 2024 by the head of our IOC, Hayes Permar. Dodgeball. Why have we not had dodgeball? Sort of popularity post uh, movie, and now it's like a legit thing. It's we all you got a captive, nostalgic audience that all grew up playing dodgeball. Are there the positions in dodgeballs? Are there positions in dodgeball? I don't know, but I don't need to know. There, there are positions in volleyball, and I don't need to know them to, to enjoy watching it. Yeah, you know I, what a setter is. Yeah, I mean, but I don't a really hitter. an outside hitter. But I don't really know like when they're on the floor and they're rotating like exactly who's what. I don't need to know that. I'm to surprised enjoy. dodgeball already isn't an Olympic sport. That's a really good suggestion on your part. 100%. All right, next. Remember I talked about how I like my Olympic sports like just basic, raw, human-on-human? Human. Mm. Tug of war. Why don't we have tug of war? It actually used to be. Uh, the, bring the, it back then. In the forties, they they took it. <laughs> Dig out. it up. Bring it back. You could go fours. You could go twos. You could go one v one. You could go mixed men and women. Did it's you just, used to play tug of war as a kid? Because I used to. It used to be like once a week out when I was in recess. Something would end up in tug of war. Um, no, tug of wars. It's a great, great sport. I've, and again, it goes down to just the, the 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 simplest of things. Things that involve lots of equipment and other animals. Would we do compete. well in tug of war? I don't know. No, uh, probably the best not. we did when it was actually a sport was bronze. We never got gold in it. What country was really good Japan, in tug of war? They sent their sumo wrestlers to do Japan. it. 
Do you, is that it? Do you just send, send big dudes? I can't tell I can't Robert's tell just Robert making things up. Sarcastic. I can't tell. Is it just big dudes? Is that are we using the hockey goalie theory of tug of war of just the largest dudes versus? I feel like there's some Eastern Bloc European country that has some combo of dudes that are, are both immovable in their mass and also have the strength to pull you wherever uh, they want you to go. Tug of war is a great one. Tug of war. You know we'd all watch that. Tug of war. Let's like tug of war gold medal fight. And especially if the losers fall into a pit of mud, 100%. Tug of war, uh, we're adding to the Olympics. The last one you have for us here. All right, if my silly answer for the third sport is um, make the basketball, excuse me, make the track athletes face the swimmer athletes in Basketball or baseball, something that they'd all be like terrible at. Like you get to see these people that you've now like. We're like, we didn't know a couple of these names. Who's the Caleb Dressel? Nobody, yeah, nobody, Caleb Dressel. Nobody knew who he was a week ago. Now he's a superstar, but his time's over. We need to see him play like kickball or basketball or something versus the uh, um, track athletes. But my actual sport for number three, not my non-silly answer, ultimate frisbee. Oh, Let's yeah. get him in the Olympics, man. My guy Evan Lepler. Can get an I, Olympic play-by-play opportunity. He's like the voice of ultimate frisbee. The only real equipment you need for frisbee is a frisbee. I like that. That is the element of the Olympics to me. The the more simple, the better. And I like that that frisbee could fit that. I think we could have some highlights too. And I think the U.S. would be pretty good at it. I, I'm I'm surprised. Like usually when people put together these types of lists, see these are really practical ones that you could see actually happening. Usually what happens is you get beer pong thrown into right, the mix. Right, sure, sure. Maybe, cornhole. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, cornhole, that's another one that's turned into... Could be a, an Olympic sport, maybe down the road. But may, I think tug of war is Joey Chestnut so dominant that it's we're, not worth making hot dog we're eating? We're competitive eating. No, absolutely not. Bigger, stronger, grosser. That is not the motto of, the, of my Olympics. It's not, not that gross. That. Anybody that says that's gross, come it's, on. It's gross. All right, so that's the, the Olympics just got a lot better. Robert, which one excites you the most? Oh, that's tough. Um, probably tug of war. I think that would be fun. Can you give me some more background info on tug of war? You, well, that's a good pull in your part that they used to I think do he's it. Just making stuff up. What do you think about? No, the new okay, sports I was this year? totally making all the stuff up. Besides okay. that, it used to be a thing in like 1900 to like 1920, I think, before the World War. There was tug of war. war. All right. Uh, what what of the have you watched any of the new sports this year? I believe you got. Rock I watched climbing. three on three basketball. And I wasn't in on it. <laughs> it's it's not three on three. Fun. It's three v three. Three v three. No, no, three x three. What do they keep calling? Yeah, it? I forget. Three x three. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's but something We terrible. all call it three on three, and it's uh, rock, rock climbing. You down with rock climbing? Yeah, I'm down with rock climbing. How the hell do you score that? Like that? But, are we just doing hobbies? Now? Speed? Like, oh, here. I'm not doing it. No, thank you. I'm good on drugs, Josh. But actually, if if we're talking about rock climbing, how the hell do you... Oh, he climbed the rock the fastest. Like, who so wants to was, watch that? Can they actually fall? Can they actually die? I was die? disappointed, I was a, a disappointed that they weren't going at the same time. Like, oh, I wanted two people yeah, yeah. like yeah, 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 climbing yeah. like next to each other. Like, let's go. Who's if they got were all the, climbing you know? at the same time and they could like, this is Sparta each other off of the <laughs> face of the rock, then yeah, I would watch. But if it's just Full hand climbing the rock, rock climbing, I'm out. Yeah. What about skateboarding? Do you watch any skateboarding? I haven't. I thought the skateboarding was cool because it's all like these young kids, man. Like I, I couldn't even stand on a board, let alone do a front-facing ollie, Superman, whatever they call these stuff. Uh, my, my thing, and this is not a knock on skateboarding. I, I, as I've said with other things, 
uh, I, I've got a tier of like what is sporting and especially at the Olympics. And I, I lean towards sports that don't have judges in them. And that's, that's why I don't like skateboarding. You are listening to the WSGS. Winston-Salem and Greensboro, WPC and Burlington, WMFR High Point. Those signals make up WSGS Sports. It is insane. Everybody is insane! What's going on in there? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Last night was an entertaining episode of The Bachelorette. We're down to two contestants, Robert. Just not in the conventional sense. I'll tell you what I mean in the Bachelorette Minute shortly. But even as the Chicago Bulls have been making a lot of moves, Kobe White going to have some running mates if he remains in Chicago. DeMar DeRozan, according to Shams, 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 added in the last 30 minutes to a roster that already has Zach Levine on it. They traded for Vucevic, who's pretty darn good. Last night, they traded for Lonzo Ball. Was that a sign-in trade situation that Chicago brought in Lonzo from the New Orleans Pelicans? Regardless, he's there. Chicago's looking to contend, but I felt Miami had the best night. Pat Riley did it again. The Heat, the way that they're building this team, Robert, it seems like to me they're not building to take down the defending champion Bucks. They're preparing for the Brooklyn Nets. I think most basketball fans who watched kind of had the sense if Brooklyn was healthy, they beat Milwaukee. They beat Milwaukee, and probably nobody beats them. So forecasting this, Miami realizes there probably is no team in the NBA that can stack up talent for talent with the Brooklyn Nets. So their strategy is, if you can't beat them, break them down. That's what happened to the Nets in the playoffs. And they're susceptible to that. With Kyrie's injury history, James Harden, KD as he ages. So who do they add? Kyle Lowry, who's rough and tough. P.J. Tucker, who's rough and tougher. And they already got Bam and Jimmy Butler on this team. They found a way to convince Duncan Robinson to concern. It was ex- uh, to uh, commit and to remain in Miami. Now, it was expensive. They found a way to do it. Miami, they're one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference now as a result. They feel pretty confident that last year was an aberration where they got swept by Milwaukee. Two years ago, when they won in the bubble, when they beat Milwaukee in five games, they can recreate that. When Milwaukee gave away all those draft picks to bring in Drew Holiday, and they became strapped for cash, having to extend Giannis last offseason... It became clear it's going to be difficult to build the roster year to year, make the roster better in Milwaukee. You've got that core, and you're probably going to lose some parts year to year that were important to your success. They can't pay Bryn Forbes, who they're going to lose. They lost P.J. Tucker, as I mentioned. That's I don't know how big of a deal that's going to be, but I feel pretty confident saying Miami got a lot better I don't think Milwaukee's going to be better next year than they've been this past year. So Miami feels like they have a shot. The East appears to be, how many teams would you put in this race for the Eastern Conference? Five, six? 
Like, Milwaukee's a no-brainer. Brooklyn, a no-brainer. I'd say Miami at this point, yes. Philadelphia, you got to throw them in there, I think, with all that talent. But then again, it's hard to really judge what Philly's going to be until we see what happens with Ben Simmons. I know they brought in Andre Drummond today. Interested to see how that's going to jive in that locker room. Atlanta was in the conference finals. Maybe you keep them in that mix. Uh, Is Chicago there at this point? The East is pretty congested. Charlotte has to be looking around thinking, are we sure we're going to make the playoffs this year if all these teams are bolstered? Well, that's our goal. We'll see if they're able to do it. So the Heat, they're they're building a team to take down the Nets, to break down the Nets. And the East is going to be much improved and very interesting to follow next year. Very interesting to follow Katie Thurston's season of The Bachelorette. Let's break down last night's episode. So, it's another ongoing, never-ending series of The Bachelorette. Close your eyes, relax, relax, and enjoy enjoy the sounds of camp. Well, actually, it's Katie this time. Katie. Just a single lady with her hands up. If you really like it, you should put a ring on it. It's Katie this time. Welcome to The Bachelorette Minute. Robert, this season has gone off the tracks. Usually... There are four hometown dates. You got four contestants. You meet their families. And then it goes down to three. You have the fantasy suites round. And then it's the finale where the two remaining contestants meet the bachelor or bachelorette's parents before she makes the ultimate decision. But that's not what's happened in this season. Michael A., the oldest contestant who has a kid also lost his wife to cancer like 10 years ago. It seemed to be the nicest guy in the house. Last week, he bailed because his son missed him. You heard the FaceTime call. I don't think daddy wants to see me anymore. So he decided he had to leave. It was pretty emotional and also a sweet deal of a dad trying to do right by his kid. So he didn't get a hometown date, which means there are only three hometown dates. And we did get three But one of them, I think, understands, does not have a shot. Justin, the painter, who shouldn't be there. I was out on Katie when she sent home the Austrian football player. I'm not talking about soccer. He plays American football, but in Austria. That guy should be the next bachelor. Justin was picked over this dude. It was a mistake. I was out on Katie the moment that it happened. Justin invited his family to meet Katie and to be on the show for the hometown date. And the family decided they weren't going to show up. So Justin brought his two best friends. You can judge who I am. You can judge whether or not I'm the right guy for you, whether or not we should get married based on my best friends rather than meeting my parents or meeting anybody in my family at all. I think he knows it. I think Katie knows it because the only nice thing they say, she says about their relationship is that he was the first guy I kissed and he's a good kisser. Not a great date at all. It was very uncomfortable and it became more uncomfortable when the front runner on the show, Robert, all season long, this guy, Greg, got this great edit. Oh, it just seems like it's not even close. This guy's going to win going away. 
This is Katie's favorite contestant. The family, her, uh, his family loves Katie. He's telling his family that she is the one. So we're all thinking, oh, this is in the bag. But I know Bachelor and Bachelorette producers so well that if everything seems great, it's about to take a turn. And it did when Greg decided he was going to tell Katie he loved her and all these things. He poured his soul out to this woman. And Katie responded by saying, that's so nice to hear. That's what she said. I just like looking at you after that. And Greg was like, what the hell? And Katie used all the language you have to on this show to not give away the result. Hey, you're going to be here next week. You know, I just trust our relationship. It's not that much longer. Because you can't just flat out say, hey, you're the one here. And Greg lost his mind. Greg just like, he, he got so mad, he left the date. And then the next day, went to go see Katie after thinking about it and said, I'm done here. I've got to go. Gave Katie opportunities to say, no, please don't go. I love you. You're you're my person. I want you to be like at some point, somebody bails on the show and says, listen, I got to marry this person in real life. So I'm just going to tell you what's up. And the consequences be damn with the TV show. Katie didn't do that, which leads me to believe maybe Greg wasn't the top choice all along. And the producers were just editing it in a way to make us think that was the case. But Greg left. And now we're down to two. One of the two not having a shot at all. And Justin Blake is the guy who came on the season, Robert, halfway through. That was on the last two seasons of The Bachelorette. One of the contestants left, finished things like in a week, decided who she loved. The first time that she saw the dude, former Panthers practice squad player Dale. And then Tasia took over from that season. Many of the same guys in the house, including Blake, were there. And he didn't win that either. So we got an opportunity halfway through this season, and now he's here in the final two, and I think is going to win. But what was funny is we met Blake's family, and the sister sat down with Blake and said to him, so do you really like this girl? Yeah, I could see myself marrying her. Yeah, you said the same thing about Claire, and you said the same thing about Tasia, and now you're saying the same thing about this woman. (laughs) So it's been about a year and a half, Blake... And you've said with three different women, you can see yourself marrying them. And that's the guy who's now the heavy front runner now that Greg is no longer in the house and Michael Lay is no longer in the house. I'd like to think next week at the finale, one of these dudes come back, but I honestly don't know what's going to happen anymore. This season's gone off the rails and (sighs) it's not going to be a satisfying finish, I'm afraid. There you go. That's been the Bachelorette Minute. As much as we all love Devontae Graham around here, signing and trading him off to New Orleans was a good business decision. And I'll explain why next. And now, The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. It's a real treat to have Ivan Mizell with us now on 3 Sports. Find his column today on 3, on in the number 3.com, titled Storms Elsewhere, but it's all blue skies for Greg Sankey. 
and the SEC, where he described a couple weeks ago being at SEC media days in Alabama, getting access to Greg Sankey, where he's heard about these rumors about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC potentially, and we haven't really heard anybody ask questions of Greg Sankey since the Houston Chronicle report dropped. That exchange you had with Sankey was two days before that Chronicle story was published. In fact, Ivan, we were chatting in Charlotte at ACC kickoff the day Texas and Oklahoma, that report dropped by the Chronicle, and so much has happened since then. I remember you saying in our conversation, you were surprised, you weren't surprised by what happened because of your exchange with Commissioner Sankey. What sticks out to you most about that conversation that you had? Uh, what sticks out to me most, Josh, is that I didn't get the story. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I got a tip and just, you know, was like chasing smoke at that point, uh, which to the credit of Texas and Oklahoma, you know, nobody knew. I mean, even uh, Bob Bowlesby testified at the Texas State Senate yesterday that the first he'd heard of it was when uh, was when the story broke. So, uh, you know, I th- beyond you know beyond my ego, I think what I what stands out to me is just the the way that. Uh, Greg Sankey discussed the challenges that he sees lying ahead, and and we he he gave me an exchange he had had with the uh, with his bosses, the presidents in the SEC, and uh, basically, you know, they said to him, "We need you to take us to the next level." And Greg, in, in not in a smart-ass sort of way, said, we are the next level. And he was told, no, you need to figure out what the next level is. And uh, as we have since learned, when Texas and Oklahoma came to him and said, would you be interested? Uh, it, you know, Not that it was a hard decision to make, but he thought long and hard about what it would mean and you know why it would be right for the SEC to do it, and and I, it's going to be fascinating to see how it unfolds over the next four years or less when until they show up. Speaking of ACC kickoff, Ivan, I remember we might have discussed this. I, I was talking with Dave Clawson, who obviously we know very well around here, and we were talking about college football expansion, and he said. As the head coach of Wake Forest University, I am for playoff expansion, but I don't think it's good for college football, which is two separate things here. There's a difference between what's best for your institution, or in Greg Sankey's case, the league, versus <laughs> you know what's good for the sport. Based on the people you know at Texas or Oklahoma or even in the SEC office that you talk to, do many of them get the sense that what they're doing is good for college football? Oh, I don't think any of them think in those terms, and that's not what their job is. Sure. You know, the, you know their job is to think in terms of what's best for Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC. Now, having said that, you know, when Greg Sankey was wearing his playoff hat 
he was one of the four people that came up with the 12 team playoff proposal. Is that best for the SEC? No. I mean, you know, right now the SEC gets 25 or 50% of the spots in a playoff every year. You know, are they going to get three to six in, in a 12 team playoff? You know, they might, but, you know, the odds are it, it's going to be more difficult to do. Uh, so, uh, you know, usually, usually people do what's best for themselves. And if you look at, you know, the, what the charge of the presidents of Texas and Oklahoma, the universities of Texas and the University of Oklahoma is, they did what they did their job. You know, they looked at the future of the Big 12 and they looked at the future of the SEC and they went to the SEC and said, would you be interested? And, and there you go. How do you feel about how the ACC's position, Divin? I think uh, right now, the, you know, the, the SEC and the Big Ten are becoming the power two. And, and the ACC is not far behind them, but it's behind them. And uh, the question will be, of course, uh, you know, okay, what can the ACC do to keep pace, if not catch up? And, you know, we heard, you know, th- with this in mind, it puts the words of, of Jim Phillips, the new commissioner, whom we heard in Charlotte, you know, in, in greater with, you know, what he said with comes in with greater force. Football is our number one priority. And, you know, to hear an ACC commissioner say that is, uh, is, you know, if if you're as old as I am is, is hard to believe, (laughs) but that's, that's where the ACC is right now. And football, uh, Look, football in the ACC has been uh, probably the most important thing since they invited Florida State in, in, you know, nearly 30 years ago. But nobody ever came out and said that. And, you know, now it's the official policy of the conference, and it, and it has to be. That's the way college sports are structured now. It's Ivan Mizell with us here on 3.com. Find the story about the SEC and uh, college football Josh, alignment. Josh, it's Mazel, all right? Sorry about that, Ivan Mazel. No worries. Good to have you with us. Talking about Notre Dame um, in the ACC, it seems like that is the only answer for this conference in terms of how to get this league on the same playing field revenue-wise with the Big Ten and the SEC. Um, I've seen suggestions of potential TV revenue being dispersed differently like we've seen with Texas's arrangement with the Big 12 10 years ago. Can Is there any way, because it doesn't seem like right now the ACC has enough flatly, hey, just a, a moderate amount more TV money to join the conference, that, the Notre, that Notre Dame's that interested in that. Can you see anything Jim Phillips can do to entice Notre Dame that now or in the near future is the time to join a conference and specifically the ACC? Well, I'm not imaginative enough to figure out what that is. You know, the Notre Dame 
got a you know they got a chance to be in the league last year they had a great experience it worked out well for everyone and when the year was over they shook everybody's hand said thanks we'll see you in basketball season and and they went home you know, so you know i don't know what else they can do you know i mean if uh clearly independence is in football is something that Notre Dame prizes and uh it you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't understand why, but it, it's part of the tradition of the school and it's important to them. And, you know, the ACC has proven it's willing to live with that until Notre Dame t- changes its mind. And I don't know what's going to make them do that. Yeah, let's close with this. Ivan Mazel with us on 3.com. Read his stuff. Uh, the column today is really good. Uh, there are some saying and this might just be the recency bias, being prison of the moment, uh, prisoner of the moment type stuff. That this is the biggest shift in college football history. I don't know if <laughs> that is the case when you consider the sport's been around 150 years and it was in danger of dying in 1905 when Teddy Roosevelt, among others, saved the sport. And then you got the changes that came with World War II and the two platoon football, and we could go on and on and on about that stuff. As a historian, like I know you to be, how big are you willing to say what we're seeing in the moment? Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC is. Well, I mean, you know, mountains are best seen at a perspective, right? You know, I think right now we're too close to the mountain to know how how big it is. Uh, You know, we're going to need three to five years to see how this plays out. And, you know, it's big enough that Texas and OU are going to the SEC, but what is left of the big 12 and, and uh, is it it just sort of, does it fall apart? Does it, you know, recede to the level of uh, the group of five, you know, are we now talking about the group of six? I mean, there's, you know, until we know how all that plays out, it's hard to assess it, but, in and of itself, it is pretty big. Ivan, admired your work for a very long time. Really do appreciate you spending the time in Greensboro, Winston-Salem, in the triad of North Carolina today. Uh, keep on the keep up the great work on 3.com. Hope we can catch up somewhere down the line. Anytime, Josh. Thanks a lot. There you go. It's Ivan Mazel joining us from on3.com.